This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. America warned that Iran and Russia are entering a, quote, full-fledged defence partnership that may include the joint production of drones. Russia will provide fighter jets to Iran and is training its pilots, said a spokesman for America's National Security Council. In turn, Iran is believed to have sent armed drones for Russia's use in Ukraine. Separately, President Vladimir Putin said he may cut oil output in response to the West's, quote, stupid price cap on Russian oil exports. A Russian court sentenced Ilya Yashin, an opposition politician, to eight and a half years in prison for charges of spreading false information to discredit the Russian army. Mr Yashin is the most high-profile Russian dissident who has been jailed for opposing the invasion of Ukraine. He chose not to leave Russia and said in court this week that he, quote, must speak the truth loudly. Arizona's Senator Kirsten Sinema said she would leave the Democratic Party and become an independent just days after the Democrats won an extended majority of 51 to 49 in the Senate. The Democrats will still hold a majority without her because America's Vice President, Kamala Harris, gets a deciding vote. Ms. Sinema wrote that she had, quote, never fit perfectly in either national party, in part because of, quote, extreme voices driving them towards the party's fringes. Marcus Dola, chief executive of Penguin Random House, the world's biggest book publisher, resigned after a deal to buy Simon & Schuster, a rival, collapsed in October. American judges blocked the planned $2.2 billion merger on the grounds that it could damage competition in the publishing industry. The failed deal cost the publisher $200 million in termination fees. Britain's government announced plans to, quote, cut red tape from financial regulations to quote, turbocharge growth. The Finance Ministry's package of 30 planned reforms will review, quote, burdensome EU rules, as well as some that were introduced after the financial crisis, including one that requires banks and insurers to keep track of staff responsible for specific activities, making it easier for regulators to punish offenders if things go wrong. America imposed sanctions against two Chinese citizens and their network of 10 companies over alleged illegal fishing and human rights abuses. Two particular companies are accused of illegal finning and shipping endangered shark species and mistreating workers. The designation marks the first time sanctions have been imposed on a company listed on the Nasdaq, an American stock exchange. Football World Cup Penalty shootouts saw Brazil, the tournament favourites, lose to underdogs Croatia and the Netherlands lose to Argentina. Brazil's elimination was the latest in a series of surprising results in Qatar, which has had more upsets than any World Cup series since 2002. Croatia, a country of around 4 million people, reached the semi-finals for a second consecutive tournament. And fact of the day, 3.6 million the tonnes of carbon emission generated by the Football World Cup in Qatar by official estimates. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. 
Russia's Quixotic Campaign for Bakhmut Bakhmut, in Donetsk province, has become the unlikely crux of the war in Ukraine. Russia is throwing most of its remaining offensive power at the small town, beyond which lie the bigger cities of Slovyansk and Kramatorsk. Yet the campaign is largely pointless. Even if Russia were to succeed, it lacks the manpower to breach farther into Ukrainian territory. The battle has turned into a test for Yevgeny Prigozhin, the ambitious founder of the Wagner Group, a firm of private mercenaries. Mr. Prigozhin wants to show Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, that the well-equipped Wagner forces can succeed where the regular army has failed. In recent days, Russia has captured some villages to Bakhmut south, but the quixotic effort has come at an eye-watering cost, with heavy casualties on both sides. On Thursday, Ukraine said it had killed 340 Russian troops in the previous 24 hours alone, bringing the total claimed tally to 93,000 Russian deaths in nine months of war. Georgia Maloney's Cash Battle Italy's new right-wing prime minister, Georgia Maloney, is headed for a row with the European Union over the mundane matter of cash. Brussels has long urged Italian governments to lower the permitted ceiling for cash transactions, to encourage digital payments, and to reduce tax evasion. Yet Ms. Maloney's draft budget for 2023 proposes to raise the ceiling from €1,000, or $1,056, to €5,000, and to scrap fines for retailers that decline card payments for transactions below €60. Ms. Maloney says she wants to help traders who are disadvantaged by a low-cash ceiling or by having to pay commissions to credit card providers. She rejects claims that more use of cash just facilitates tax evasion. But critics, including Italy's central bank, insist that a higher ceiling will merely boost Italy's already large black economy. Italians use credit and debit cards less than most other EU nationals. Ms. Maloney's new encouragement for cash augurs ill for her commitment to broader liberalizing reforms. Applying AI to Detect Pneumonia Of all of the preventable diseases, pneumonia is responsible for some of the most shameful statistics. It kills thousands of children a day, most of them in poor countries, for want of timely diagnosis and treatment. And with life-saving kit like x-ray machines in short supply, alternative diagnostics are sorely needed. One potential alternative was reported on Monday at the 183rd meeting of the Acoustical Society of America. Artificial intelligence, AI, that can tell whether someone has pneumonia from the sound of their coughing. The AI algorithm listens to coughs and conducts acoustical analysis of the sound waves, diagnosing pneumonia with 97.5% accuracy. Its developers taught the algorithm to work in any room with various levels of background noise. This is crucial because it means the tool can be used in people's homes. One firm already has plans to develop such an application. The next time you're asked to turn your head and cough, it may be by an algorithm. Brendan Fraser resurfaces in The Whale Next year's Oscar nominations aren't announced until January 24th, but it would be surprising if Brendan Fraser is not on the Best Actor shortlist. Once an A-list star whose credits include The Mummy and Crash, Mr. Fraser drifted away from Hollywood lead roles and into depression. His new film, released in America on December 9th, is quite a comeback.
A melodramatic chamber piece directed by Darren Aronofsky, the wrestler and mother, The Whale features Mr. Fraser as a morbidly obese English teacher who is desperate to reconcile with his estranged 17-year-old daughter, Sadie Sink. Some critics have accused it of dehumanizing overweight people. Mr. Fraser is encased in prosthetic makeup, and Samuel D. Hunter's screenplay, adapted from his own stage play, is corny and contrived. But Mr. Fraser's soulful performance earned him a six-minute standing ovation when The Whale premiered at the Venice Film Festival in September. His return is heartening, even if the film isn't. Weekend Profile Itamar Ben-Gvir, Israel's likely new national security minister. At age 19, Itamar Ben-Gvir was Israel's most toxic political activist. He had been the leader of the youth wing of the far-right anti-Arab Kach party when the Israeli government designated it a terrorist organization in 1994. A year later, he was tainted by the assassination of Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin. He had no part in the murder by a Jewish extremist furious about Rabin's attempts to compromise with the Palestinians. But weeks earlier, Mr. Ben-Gvir had vandalized the Prime Minister's car and boasted on television that, quote, We got his car, we'll get him too. Now aged 46, Mr. Ben-Gvir will soon be made National Security Minister in the incoming government of Benjamin Netanyahu. He was once considered too dangerous to be conscripted into the army. Now he will lead Israel's police, which previously investigated him for inciting violence. To many, his rehabilitation symbolizes the hard-right turn of Israeli politics. Mr. Ben-Gavir's mission has been to make palatable a movement regarded by nearly all Israelis as beyond the pale. Raised in an affluent suburb near Jerusalem, he moved to a Jewish settlement in the occupied West Bank. He opened a law practice that specialized in representing radical Jews accused of anti-Arab terrorism. He joined another party, Jewish Power, on a platform softened just enough to comply with rules prohibiting political parties from inciting racism. After years of leading groups of thugs in the streets of Jerusalem crying, quote, death to the Arabs, he began correcting them to shout, quote, death to the terrorists instead. But the rebranding wasn't enough. In 2020, the party received only 19,000 votes. Its salvation came from Mr. Netanyahu, who, in his quest for a right-wing majority, pressured Jewish power to merge its candidate list with those of two other far-right parties. The new, quote, religious Zionism list, which Mr. Ben-Gavir co-leads, won 14 seats at the election in November, making it a critical part of Mr. Netanyahu's coalition. Mr. Ben-Gavir is trying to project a more moderate image, promising that as security minister, quote, we will make sure law-abiding Arabs are secure as well. But his election night message revealed his long-held beliefs, quote, it's time for us to return to being the landlords of our country. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random were Martin Kokurik, Bratislava, Slovakia, Sarah Forney, Pittsburgh, America, Arun K. Gorjale, Hoser, India. They all gave the correct answers of Mirage, New York, New York, Luxor, The Twelve Caesars, Sahara. The theme is Las Vegas Casinos, The Mirage, New York, New York, Luxor, Caesars Palace, and Sahara.
finally, here's the quote of the day from Alfred Nobel, who died on this day in 1896. If I have a thousand ideas and only one turns out to be good, I am satisfied. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.